Good morning, gentlemen. I had no idea that so many of you would show up to hear me and Joe Stopula speak. This is awesome. So happy that you're here. Um, before we start anything, let's begin in a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, help me, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. We've got a great, we've got a great day in store for you guys. I, I think this is the biggest turnout we have ever had for an Iowa Catholic men's conference, and this is awesome. We've got a great half day in store for you today, and uh, I hope you sit back, relax, and really enjoy it. It's going to be a great treat, I know, at least for my soul as well. I want to start just by um, letting you know, I, I'm John Leonetti, so I am morning show host here on Iowa Catholic Radio. Uh, this is what I do. I get the great opportunity of being able to travel and speak around the country um, on a regular basis, about seven months out of the year, but more importantly than that, I love serving right here in my own hometown. Uh, this is one of the best, uh, I, I think, one of the best dioceses on the face of the earth. I know I'm biased, but we've got so many awesome things that go on here uh, in Des Moines. And um, it's a treat to be able to see so many people show up for it. I want to start by reading a quote, a quote that has uh, always inspired me. It's by my favorite author, Dr. Peter Kreeft. Uh, he says this. He says, our culture has filled our heads, but emptied our hearts, stuffed our wallets, but starved our wonder. It has fed our thirst for facts, but not for meaning or mystery. It produces nice people, not heroes. Today, men, today, we are going to focus or refocus ourselves on becoming heroes. Heroes in a culture that's ailing, that's hurting. We... um. We titled this conference, Sons of the Father. You know, in an age of identity politics, and it's everywhere, everyone wants to define themselves in so many different ways. We, and this is important, we have forgotten our truest identity, that you and I are sons and daughters of a father who loves us, that you and I are sons of a father who runs after us, who is desperate for us. You know, friends, God doesn't need us. That's important, I think, to know. God gains nothing from you and I. And that's one of the greatest things about our God, is the fact that even though he gains nothing from us, you and I are still here. And that tells us something about who you and I are, that we are not here as play toys for an egotistic maniac of our God. We are here as a sheer result of a God who is love. You and I are God's greatest gift. That's what love is, pure gift unto itself. If you've ever wondered why the Catholic Church is so obsessed with life issues from the moment of conception until natural death, there lies the reason. Because life is pure gift. The next time someone says to you, you just think you're God's gift to the world, you say, mm-hmm. <laughs> you are God's greatest gift to the world. And this gift that he gives to this world is not just something that he wants to give us for 60, 70, 80 years. 
but he wants to gift himself to us for all eternity, which is what heaven is. And that's what this world is all about. If you and I are going to choose it, because God's love can't be forced upon us. I didn't get down on my knee to my wife and say, you're going to marry me whether you like it or not. It would not have worked out well for me. I got down on my knee and I proposed. And that's what this life is all about. God's proposal to us. Will you take me on? Will you become my son? But that proposal comes with a catch. And the catch is that if we're going to take him on, we follow him. We deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow me. That if we are sons of the Father, we are going to imitate the very Son of the Father, which is why we have it smack dab right here up front for us here, and go to the cross. And that's what this day is about, is becoming heroic again in a culture that is starving to see it. But our heroism doesn't come with, again, filling our wallets or filling ourselves with so many different things. Our heroism comes through sacrifice. That we deny ourselves, take up the cross daily and follow him. This here is what we model. This is where our God goes to save us, to show us, to model what it is that our lives have to be. Where we now deny ourselves from everything that makes us miserable anyway, which is sin, selfishness, greed, ego, all of it makes us miserable. And we die. We die to ourselves. Where St. Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's no longer I who live. God is in the business of killing us. That's what love does. Is it kills the ego, the selfishness that lies in every single one of us, myself included, so that we become a living model of what true love looks like. That's why we have these here. That's the greatest act of love the world will ever know. Every time your eyes look upon a crucifix, you are looking upon the very school of love. The very school of love. And it was a painful school especially for him. It was excruciating. And I use that word on purpose. Excrucis comes from the Latin, out from the cross. Christ Jesus would have had to constantly be pumping his legs just to breathe on that cross, walking 10 football fields before that, carrying that cross. While his vital organs were shutting down and he was drowning in his own blood. And here he says, we have to go. Sacrifice isn't easy. But it's worth it. I remember when I got married. It was the best day of my life. There my wife walking down the aisle with my father-in-law. 350 people. I'm crying. It was the most beautiful sight I've ever seen in my life. But anyone that's ever been married longer than three minutes knows that doesn't last. (laughs) 
But my love for her has grown deeper. Even though we're not staying up till 3 a.m. talking on the phone anymore. Even though she may not get that really bubbly sensation when I walk in the door. Heck, when I call her from halfway around the world, her voice lowers three octaves. Oh, it's you. You know, I thought... But our love has deepened. And that's what sacrifice does. And that's what we have to be in this world today. Living embodiments of the sun. That's one of the reasons why we uh, asked a football coach to come here. You know, sport, sport really is all about sacrifice. You don't get great unless you sacrifice. And uh, we're honored today to be able to have the head football coach of Iowa State University here with us, Matt Campbell. In addition to that, we're also going to have uh, a dear friend of mine, who's become a very close friend of mine over the years, Joe Stopulis, who is going to give an incredible talk. And I, I want every single one of you in here for this talk as well about what that sacrifice, that heroic sacrifice, can do and can look like in all of our lives as well. And the best part of all this is, is we're going to get you out of here at noon. I think you're pretty excited about that. I've heard it from you. I'm going to introduce our keynote speaker now. Matthew Allen Campbell, the current head football coach of Iowa State University. Matt has changed the culture, and his footprint is all over the success of my Iowa State Cyclones. That's right. Campbell initiated his rebuilding plan and laid the foundation by imploring his team to trust the process. His team listened, sparking Iowa State to one of its most fruitful periods in the history of the program. National rankings and bull berths have become the norm, thanks to Campbell's leadership. I never thought I'd see it. The two-time Big 12 Coach of the Year, 2017 and 2018, Campbell has led the Cyclones to three straight bowl games, yearly appearances in the national rankings and a 23-16 and 16 record in the last three seasons, second-best three-year stretch in Iowa State football history. Campbell's recent three-year run at Iowa State has caught the nation's attention with a drastic improvement, placing Iowa State football into the national rankings and the college football spotlight. Iowa State has appeared in the college football playoff rankings in each of the last three seasons, joining Oklahoma as the only two Big 12 schools to accomplish that since 2017. Campbell, who has fostered a player-driven atmosphere with his contagious personality, he owns 26.1% of Iowa State's all-time victories over ranked teams. I don't know if that's good or not. (laughs) (sighs) Defeating six opponents ranked in the nation's top 25 since 2017, a total ranking in the top 15 nationally during that span. More importantly, he's driven by a motto of faith, family, and football. A man who loves Jesus Christ and his Catholic faith. He's assured me that he will never leave Iowa State University. I made that part up. (laughs) He knows that all he's accomplished in the end goes away, and Christ Jesus remains. It's important to know, friends, that Matt Campbell asked for nothing to be here with us today. Nothing. (laughs) 
gentlemen, the head football coach for the Iowa State Cyclones, Matt Campbell. Thank you, guys. Please, thank you very much. Wow, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have this introduction all the time. I'm just gonna tell you that, so I'm stealing them. But um, you know, first and foremost, I'm really humbled and excited to be here. Um, and I'll be honest with you, probably a little bit of me is is slightly intimidated to be with this group today. Um, I, I think a really powerful group, um, a group that is extremely strong obviously, in your belief and your faith, and it's just an honor for me to be able to be in your presence and be with you and certainly share my story. I, I did say this jokingly. I, I kind of wish this maybe was in December, probably before the 28th, so maybe I could have got the Catholic prayers going in the right direction for the bowl game. Um, so um, that's probably, if I have one, uh, one regret, I probably wish it was a little bit earlier, but uh, no, I, I, I'm certainly grateful to be here. And you know, this today happened, um, quite honestly, about a year ago, right after our season. And I, I don't know if this gentleman's in here. I, I'm sure he is. Blake Clark. Blake, where are you at? Blake, stand up real quick. So, guys, if you give a hand to Blake. Blake's one of our players. The Des Moines community, I'm sure, knows Blake. He was a great quarterback at Dallin Catholic, led him to a state championship. And Blake has been an absolute integral part of our Cyclone football team. And, you know, one of the things that I always love about our program is to watch young men change the culture of our program. And, you know, I think sometimes as fans, we see the Brock Purdy's of the world and um, the people's that names maybe are in the newspaper or what you see on Saturday. But Blake has been one of those young men in our program that literally from the day he's touched foot on our campus has changed and enhanced our culture each and every day that he's lived on our program. And it's how he lives his life, how he serves others. One of my favorite stories is his freshman year, uh, Blake goes down and he's the scout team quarterback for the defense. And uh, we have a linebacker, and a lot of you guys maybe would, that follow the Cyclones would know a young man named Marcel Spears, great player for us, just graduated as a senior. And um, you know, it's about six o'clock after a practice. We're indoor. I'm going up after I get done showering to go watch film. And there's Blake throwing footballs to our starting linebacker, Marcel Spears. Fast forward, we go to our captain's meeting on Thursday, and we have one travel spot left for um, the travel to the game we're going to this the weekend. And I usually give the captains an opportunity to say who's somebody that's empowering our football program that I don't see as the football coach. And all four captains said, Blake Clark. And he serves and empowers others when nobody's watching. And, well, now Blake owns one of the hardest jobs that I think exist in our program, and he's the holder. And for any of you that know what the holder does, he's the guy that holds all the kicks. And really it's one of the most thankless jobs because you don't know his name. You really don't care who, what he does or how he does it unless his job goes bad. And then you care how he does it. So, um, But I, I wanted to make sure to mention Blake because this wouldn't happen and I certainly wouldn't be here without him. Um, you know, today, talking about the faith journey, and I, I'll be really honest with you, my faith journey is a little bit unorthodox. Um, it's a little bit different, and I'm going to get into that a little bit and tell you that as we go today, but it's been powerful, and my journey in my own faith has been life-changing, and I always say 
that life-changing events usually revolve around great adversity. And for me, that's how my faith journey began. And so I'll tell you a little bit of my story and, and kind of get into how, how faith has, has been such a huge impact in my life. So for me, and you know, it's funny because this past football season, we did a, um, we did a little lesson in our football program that we did in small groups. And then I had our coaches get up in front of our team and we talked about these three things. Who are your hero? What's your hardship been? And then obviously, what's the highlight in your life been? And I, I'm always finding unique ways, and I love unique ways to how do we bring our team together? How do we tell our story? And so for me, um, reflecting on those three things, you know, I, I think life is so powerful, and we talked and heard that word hero this morning already, is who your hero is. And I think as we grow older in life, that, that probably gets a little bit more clear of who our heroes are. And for me, you know, growing up, I, I, I will talk a little bit about growing up in my own family because both um, some heroes and some hardship live there. But one of the greatest heroes in my life is my grandmother. And my grandmother was one of the most fascinating ladies that um, maybe that I had ever met in my life. She was a lady that when you talk about these words, love, care, serve, she lived it every day of her life. And she actually taught me faith. My grandmother was not Catholic. My grandmother um, and my grandfather grew up. Um, they married at 18 years old, western Pennsylvania, moved to northeast Ohio where my grandfather for 30 years worked two jobs. Um, he worked the midnight shift at Ford Motor Company, got up, came home, showered, and then went and worked at the bus garage until 5 o'clock, worked at the bus garage, worked as the head mechanic at the bus garage, and then at 5 o'clock would go home, would sleep for five hours before he had to get up and eat dinner. And every day I watched my grandmother because I would go every summer and live with my grandparents. I would watch my grandmother cook him food. I would watch, make sure everything was served the correct way. And she had one of the most giving and caring hearts of anybody that I ever saw. I don't know if I appreciated it at the time, but over the last four to five years, I, I, I can tell you my grandmother was the person that every Thursday night before every game I ever played in college athletics and every game I've ever coached, I always called her on Thursdays before I played or coached. Two years ago, my grandmother um, began to slip. We actually played, and some of you guys may remember, we went to the University of Akron. Um, we played a home game at, at the University of Akron, and again, God's calling is, is fascinating. Things happen for a reason. It was for me, um, obviously, I had no idea that I would be at Iowa State, number two. Um, I had no idea at Iowa State we would actually go home to my home to play a college football game. That day, my grandmother and my grandfather uh, make their way to the game, and one of the hardest things about leaving a home in Ohio was the fact that almost every game that I ever coached or played in, my grandparents were at every game. Leaving was hard because that was one of the hardest things to leave. And so I, I was so excited to be able to come back home to Akron, Ohio, and actually coach in this game. Great to see her that day. I don't know if she could, you could ever seen more joy out of her. We didn't play great that day. We won. Um, I was frustrated and upset, and as soon as I saw her, all she cared about was seeing me, and I think that frustration upset left really fast. 
Um, three days later, she had to have a surgery, one of those surgeries that doesn't go exactly well. And I watched my grandmother slowly decline. But one of the most fascinating things to me in this, this process was watching her. My grandfather had the, the onset of Alzheimer's. And my grandmother had a chance to heal. And instead of healing that day, through this process, she went to rehab, and my grandfather couldn't function at home. So instead of fulfilling the rehab and the, and the fulfillment of, of getting herself healthy, she went back home to make sure my grandfather was okay. Six months later, she passes away. And so as you talk about who are your heroes in life, who are those people that inspire you and empower you in your own faith journey? And as I begin my story, that's who I live to be like. This amazing woman had had this, this ability to empower and love and care and serve through her toughest and hardest times. She was always serving other people. And I, I'm beyond grateful for that from her. Because for me, growing up, I, I tell my story a little bit. I, there are some positive. I had two parents that, that were married up until my, until my freshman year of high school. Uh, both parents have great qualities. Uh, my, my mother and father are both educators. My father was a longtime high school football coach involved in education and still is to this day. Um, my mother um, involved in education as well. And she's actually one of the, the lead um, grant writers right now for one of the largest nonprofit hospitals in the state of Ohio. Both of them have phenomenal traits, have phenomenal mannerisms, have given my brother and I great uh, blessings in our life. But what I will tell you is they also probably created some of the greatest adversity that I ever had to deal with. And to be honest with you, I think for me growing up, that was really hard. Um, on the outside, we looked like the perfect family. On the inside, the perfectionism wasn't truly there. And my, my story as a 7th and 8th grader, I have a brother that's four years younger than I, there were some really hard days and some of the things that were going on in downstairs on the first and, and basement level of our house. There were nights where I remember it got so bad that I would take my brother out of our second story window of, my, of our room we would go sit on the roof for hours just to let whatever was going on downstairs settle in. So as I begin and grow, and we all know as you get into high school, those are, those are hard times. You're beginning your own journey. And we weren't, a, we weren't a family that had a lot of faith around us. We, weren't the, we, were, we were the family that occasionally went to church on a, on a Christmas we weren't brought up in a, a family that faith was a major part of who we were or what we were, but I was lucky to have beacons of major people that showed me at least what faith looked like. And so as we went into my sophomore year of high school, my parents who just built what would have been their dream home, and we go through this process, and you know, my brother and I are thinking maybe this will settle the ship, only enhanced what was going on throughout our home. And at a really tough time, my parents separate in what became a very public separation and two very public figures in our hometown, in a small Ohio hometown where everybody knows everybody, became a really tragic event. And for me, it was one of those situations we, we went from living in our dream home to living in a one-bedroom apartment and being ashamed to go to school each and every day 
even though I found my comfort in sport. I played basketball, football, baseball growing up. And thank goodness for me at that time, I found a high school football coach who had a really good sense of what was going on in our house and who had this unique ability to take me under his wing and guide me. And one of the greatest blessings of my life was a gentleman by the name of Keith Wakefield, who's still the high school football coach in my hometown. He, he was a man that was hard. He was tough. He demanded excellence on a day-in, day-out basis. But yet I think he understood what was going on in the lives of each one of his young people and was caring and was serving to the hearts of every one of his student-athletes. And for, for that, I'm, I'm forever grateful because through some really hard times, I don't know if I would have ever made it without his guidance. One of the other great gifts that occurred was my senior year. I met what is now my wife, my wife Erica Campbell at the time. Erica um, and I started dating our senior year. She, uh, I think she was through a really dark and tough time, was able to give me some light into a lot of areas, but probably the greatest area was this. Erica comes from a big Catholic family, and one of the things that I was so amazed is this, this family had such a strong, strong, strong relationship and such a strong commitment to faith, and I couldn't figure it out, and I couldn't understand it, but I was almost drawn to her and her family in the strength that they gained around their faith. And so I go off to college, still battling through, I think, a little bit of finding out who I am and what I am. I think a lot of me early on as 17, 18-year-olds, we identify ourselves, especially in the sports world, with sports. I was one of the first young men from our high school to ever leave our community on a Division I scholarship. I end up going to the University of Pittsburgh on a full scholarship to go play tight end. And I'll be really honest with you, and it's one of the things that, that I'll get into today a little bit, is uh, my job, it's funny, my job is to recruit today, and I, I almost chuckle at it because I think I'm the anti-recruiter in a lot of ways. Um, I, at least my coaches say I am, so I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, and I think some of that comes because, I'll be really honest with you, going through this process as a student-athlete, um, I really didn't like it. I, I felt the, the urge of really what was going on, of who to trust and what to trust, because there was a lot of things in my life I really didn't trust at that point. And so I think part of me said, I just got done playing for this amazing high school football coach who the only time I felt comfort, the only time I felt at home was in the locker room under his guidance. And now I, I know that the college experience will be just that much better. And so a little bit of naive, a little bit of wanting to get it done, um, chose the University of Pittsburgh. And I go in, and, and it was an incredible experience, to be quite honest with you, because as a matter of fact, it even drove me into farther despair in a lot of ways. I watched a culture where um, the head coach had no relationship with the players. I watched a culture where the assistant coaches had no relationship with the head football coach. I watched a culture where half the kids in the program were doing drugs on Friday and Saturday night. I went and watched a culture where nobody showed up to the weight room on time. 
and I was fascinated by what was going on. And for a year, I was in total despair. I was away from home. I was away from my brother who I knew had needed me because that bond of going through really tough times had strengthened us. And really trying to lose myself in every way. And the one thing that I thought I loved all of a sudden was shattering right before my eyes, and that was football. I actually played as a true freshman. And even the playing experience wasn't finding and settling the pain that was really going on in my heart. And I'll never forget, there was a, there was a, a summer, June, right at the end of June, after my first year at the University of Pittsburgh. And again, a lot of things in my life was just the ability to listen. And it was one of my darkest days that I think I've ever had. I didn't know if I wanted to continue to push through in football in a lot of ways. Probably didn't, want to, didn't know if I wanted to continue to push through in life. And I remember getting ready to drive home. And I drove through this small town from Pittsburgh to Canton, Ohio. There's a, there's a small town called Alliance, Ohio, right on Route 30. And I drove right through there this day, and I, I saw this football team. And there was about 80 young men who I knew, none of them were on scholarship, and they were out there practicing the sport of football. And I was fascinated. So I kind of drove my car, slowed down, and along the way, um, I stopped. And I just sat and watched for a little bit. Well, uniquely, walking down the street was a gentleman by the name of Larry Karras, who was the head football coach at Mount Union, which is now university at that time, Mount Union College. And he had stopped. He said, Matt, I introduced myself. My name is Matt Campbell. I said, Matt, I, I know who you are. You know, you, you're 25 minutes from home. And, uh, you know, what are you doing here? And I kind of told him, I told him my journey. And he said, geez, if you're ever thinking about you know, something different, know that there would always be a spot here for you. Divine intervention, faith, a calling. So after that weekend, I decided, you know what, this could be really hard, but I'm going to give up this scholarship, and for some reason I'm called to be at Mount Union. And I did. And to be honest with you, that journey saved my life. It saved my life in, in three ways. One of the first things that was fascinating to me is the first day I walked into Mount Union College's um, locker room at the time, and I'll give you a little bit of emphasis on Mount Union. Mount Union is a university. It's, a method, <laughs> it, it's fascinating in, in so many ways. But it's a, it's a university and a college at the time, and today is the winningest football program ever in the history of college football. The head football coach at that time and today is in the College Football Hall of Fame. He's the winningest coach ever in the history of college football. 323 wins, 19 losses. And everybody says, well, Matt, why did that happen there? And there's no mantra. There's not a bunch of uh, verbiage that goes on there, but there's one sign in the entire locker room that's ever stood up, not even championship signs, and it said this. It said faith, family, football. And for four years there, this experience changed my life. Number one, the journey of seeing how a, 
again, this head football coach came into my life when I needed him the most and had the ability to teach me these, these incredible values of who I was rather than what I was as a football player. Number two, um, along the way, my sophomore year in a religion class, I, I'm fortunate to have a gentleman by the name of Father Patrick Manning being my um, religion teacher. And Father Patrick Manning is one of the most amazing men that I've ever met in my life because he had the ability to bring this unknown of what faith really is and have the ability to come into my life and teach me the power of faith. God's will, the journey that this can have in tying in this powerful time in my life in answering a lot of the questions of why. And so two years later, under Father Patrick Manning's guidance, I go through the entire process of becoming a Catholic. And one of the greatest journeys that I ever went on, to be quite honest with you, I think at a powerful time, and I, 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 I chuckle because my wife's grandmother, who was married to this staunch Italian man as he grew up a powerful Catholic, and she said, Matt, I too, after high school, went through the conversion process to become Catholic. And thank goodness I did when I did, because it allowed me to understand and really appreciate the faith. And I, I will be quite honest with you, it was such a powerful and moving journey in my life. And I'm so grateful. And you may know that, man, that Manning name because now today, Tom Manning, who is our offensive coordinator, and Tom has been with me for a long time. Um, Tom is the nephew of Father Patrick Manning, who had served with us um, at Mount Union at Toledo, and obviously now as our offensive coordinator at Iowa State. And so for me, really, truly powerful. The last step of the way, obviously, through those, that time frame was my wife. An entire, along the way, sometimes we don't like to give our wives credit, but um, for me, I wouldn't be standing here today without her guidance, without, through some of those dark, tough times, being a beacon of hope, drawing me along this journey of finding my faith, and then having us have the ability to share and grow in our faith together. And that's been a magical journey for both of us. And so you, you say, well, Coach, how have you used that in your life? What's that done? And to me, it changed probably every, me every step of the way. And I, I had a great experience at Mountain Union as a player. We lost one game in four years. We won three national championships, and a lot of great things happened. But I'll be honest with you, I couldn't tell you about any of those games and what happened and what didn't happen. And I remember standing up at our senior banquet and talking about my experience at Mountain Union, and I said the greatest thing that will ever happen was it changed my life. In a time I was broken, I came here, I found myself, I found my faith, and I found what I really am and what I really stand for. And as I begin to wonder where was I going to go and what was I going to do, um, you know, I think my mom wanted me to go to law school. My dad was fighting for me to go into coaching. 
but really the only thing I knew I really wanted to do is I wanted to make a difference in the lives of others. And so my whole hope was that I, I felt like one of the greatest areas to do that was the one area that I knew, and that was the sport of football. And to be quite honest with you, I was, I was heading back to, to Mount Union to be a student coach, and I was actually working at a cement factory um, in June. I graduated and trying to make some money so I could be a student coach at Mount Union for, my, for, for a year before I could figure out. I just got done sending every resume to every school in the country, and if for any of you guys know that process, you, you send a resume and you get a nice letter back, which was kind of cool because you got the letterheads of all these really cool schools back to you <laughs> that said, hey, really appreciate you sending this in. But, uh, you know, right now all our positions are filled. So I kind of chuckled at that. Um, but, you know, I, I'm working in this cement factory, and I'll be honest with you, I loved it. And, you know, up in the morning every day, and I love what I was doing. And right at the end of May... Um, I, I got a phone call from a gentleman that I had met one time, and he said, hey, Matt, I really like who you are. I have a connection at Bowling Green State University. There's going to be an opening for a graduate assistant. I know I can get you an interview. I can't promise you the job. Would you be interested? And that, that phone call came on Thursday. I said, absolutely. I'll actually drive up tonight to Bowling Green State University, and I'll be there first thing in the morning. I'd love to do it. Um, 8 o'clock I interviewed, 12 o'clock I got the job, I drove home and I started on Monday at Bowling Green State University and it was an incredible journey for me because to be quite honest with you, my hope, my goal is I wanted to be a high school head football coach and I thought this was a great opportunity to learn some of the skills, some of the craft of what it took to be a high school football coach because for me, what I remembered in a critical time, the gentleman that empowered my life the greatest was my high school football coach. And so we were there for two years, and it was great. I learned a great skill set. Some of you guys know the name of Urban Meyer and the spread offense, and that's what was going on at the time. And it was great to be a sponge on the wall and sit and watch. And I was enamored by the growth process, and I, I, it was fun to learn and grow from a skill standpoint. And after two years... Again, you talk about being called to be at the right place at the right time. I get a phone call from our head football coach at Mountain Union, and Coach Karras, they had not had in over 27 years, had not had a turnover on a full-time position on their coaching staff. The defensive coordinator decided that he was going to take a head coaching job, and he said, Matt, I'd love for you to come back and take what you learned from the spread offense and bring it back to, to us at Mountain Union. And I, I don't know if it could have been a greater time. My wife and I had just got engaged. Um, so you know the engagement. I'll tell you that story in two seconds. Christmas Eve, mass, I acted like I forgot the key. So if any of you guys, Blake, listen to me now. If you're thinking of, like, how am I going to do this? Okay, this is good. Christmas Eve, mass, I acted like I forgot the keys. It's snowing, Canton, Ohio. We go back in on the front steps of, of St. Joseph's Church got engaged, so that's why we're still still going strong. Remember that, all right? Um, so, <laughs> get the opportunity to go back to Mount Union. And, um, you know, I, I'll tell you just one quick story about it. It was, a, it was a phenomenal journey because, for me, I got to go back to this hero in my life, this gentleman in my life that taught me faith, family, football. 
and he poured into me and allowed me to come in there. And Coach Karras, who, again, this legendary coach who had called the offense his entire career, and he brings in this young guy at 22 years old and says, hey, come in and help me with the offense. As any young guy does, I take over the whole offense. I start changing the terms so he couldn't call the plays, and all of a sudden <laughs> he, he's, he doesn't know where it goes. First time we ever had spring practice in Division Three football, and I'm like, man, if he's going to give me all this lever, I'm just going to keep going with it. But, you know, I think of any great leader, what he did was he allowed growth to occur. And what he didn't know, he allowed to come in and better our program. And along the way, we had some memorable moments for sure. And I always tell this story, and hopefully you appreciate it. You know, our, um, now I, I, was, I was a good football player at Mount Union. And at Mount Union, they care, all right? And so any of you guys that boo the Cyclones, that's okay, all right? So um, at Mount Union, if you're not winning by 40, they're booing you out of the stadium, all right? <laughs> So, you know, I, I was a good player. We had had a lot of success. I come back, and I'm kind of calling the plays the first, the, the first time back. Um, and our first game back, we're actually playing Washington University out of St. Louis at home. And I'd call a play, Coach Karras call a play. I'd call a play, Coach Karras call a play. Well, needless to say, that wasn't going great, all right? And at halftime, it's, we're up 10 to 7. Now, that wasn't to the liking of the home crowd at that time, all right? And so I kind of said to myself, they're kind of booing us out of the stadium a little bit. I'm like, man, rough crowd. I was just the guy everybody was cheering for. Two years later, everybody's booing me. And, um, you know, we win the game that day, and Coach Karras comes to me, and he says, you know what, Matt? He said, listen, um, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to let you go. I'm going to let you take this thing, and let's see what happens. And so... Um, we actually go to the Catholic University in our, our conference, John Carroll University, who was our rival. And we went up to John Carroll the next week, and John Carroll has a phenomenal team and had a great team. And it was one of those nights where the stars aligned. Now, we also, uh, I'll preface this story because we had a really good player, a guy by the name Pierre Garçon, who's, who played about 13 years in the National Football League. And there wasn't a lot of those guys running around in Division Three football. But I was smart enough to know that the ball should probably go to Pierre as much as we can get it to him. So, okay. So some of you guys don't think I'm smart all the time. I did know that, all right? And so... That night, it's, it's funny because we actually, we actually score 70 points, and we win the football game 70 to 14. And I remember getting on the bus and calling my wife at the time, and just been married. I said, hey, listen, we got this whole thing figured out. You know what? We just scored 70 points, and man, we're going to be in great shape. Now, let's fast forward here about two weeks, okay? Back at home, again, tough place to be. All right, we're back at home. We're, we're playing in a football game against Capital University, who had a good team at the time. And we're, we're deep into the third quarter of the game. And um, we're down 28 to 14. And so if you think they were booing at halftime when we were only up three, you could imagine what the stadium was a little restless at this time. And I remember getting on the headset, and uh, I said to Coach Karras, I said, hey, listen, um, I'm struggling. I said, can you help me out here? He said, no, you got us into this mess. Now you get us out of it. <laughs> and uh, so I'll, I'll always remember this because he called two plays. Two plays later, we score two touchdowns, and we actually end up winning the football game. 
And one of the great lessons as a young coach, and I think we've all learned this lesson a lot, and I heard this, boy, once in life we think we got it all figured out, we get humbled really fast. And, you know, it was an unbelievable experience being there for two years. And, you know, be honest with you, I, I don't know. We, we lived, I walked to work every day. My wife and I loved it. And I didn't think I'd ever leave. And uniquely, we got a phone call after our second year. We had won back-to-back -back national championships in uh, Bowling Green State University, where I just got done being graduate assistant. They were in some tough times. They had gone from really, really good to um, not so good. And I got a phone call to come back and be the offensive line coach. And I said, okay. you know. And my wife and I talked about it. We prayed about it. And she said, you know, I said, you know what? Let's do it. If it doesn't work out, I'll come back home. I'll take our, you know, a high school coaching job somewhere back in this area, um, and, and we'll see what happens. And so we go and actually are able to do some good things for two years there. And after the second year, uh, the first time this experience happens, our staff gets let go. We had a 6-6 six and six season. Our staff got let go at the time. And if you guys ever want to test your faith, tell your pregnant wife that you and, and her and your daughter are going to now move to Laramie, Wyoming from, uh, from Ohio. Um, that was a tough conversation, okay? And so we get let go. I had gotten a job offer to go out to Wyoming University um, as the offensive line coach and at that time as the offensive coordinator. And again, you know, you, you're called and, and, and things happen for a reason. Um, a day later, a gentleman gets the head coaching job at the University of Toledo. And at that time, 28 years old, he says, Matt, would you like to come be the offensive coordinator at the University of Toledo? About a 10-minute drive up the road. Um, and, you know, it's a really tough situation we're going into. The program's been in a really tough spot. But I'd love for you to come, and I would love for you to, uh, you know, help us turn this around. And so kind of blind faith a little bit at the time. Needless to say, my wife was excited about not moving to Laramie, Wyoming. Um, but, you know, we went and had an incredible journey for three years. And, you know, we were able to swing and turn the program around. But I'll be really honest with you, it was a program that was built very similar to what I felt like was going on at the University of Pittsburgh at the time that I played there. And so... We actually got done playing after our third year. We got done playing, and I felt a lot like I was starting to feel like when I was at the University of Pittsburgh, that what I was doing and what we were doing was totally against what I believed in. And so we played a game at Ball State, and I remember calling my wife after the game, and I said, listen, the job at my high school is open. Our high school football coach had left for a while, and they had called me, and I, I think I'm, I want to go home. I think we should go home. I'm going to take our, I think it's the right thing to do. And three days later, again, called situation, right place, right time. The head football coach went and resigned and went to the University of Illinois. Now, for whatever reason, at that time, our athletic director said, Matt, would you be interested in the head coaching job at the University of Toledo? I'll be really honest with you. Um, I was not even thinking that. I was preparing to go back and be the athletic director and head football coach at our high school back in Maslin, Ohio. We ended up taking the job at the University of Toledo, and I said, you know what? If we can build this the right way, 
powerful things can happen. And, you know, we had a tough assignment first and foremost. I, I think uh, if, if any of you guys would remember, the University of Toledo that year had to go play, and I'm, again, 30 years old at the time, get named the head football coach at the University of Toledo, and we've got about two weeks to prepare to go play Air Force in the Military Bowl. Now, I, I didn't think that was really fair because we had to go to Washington, D.C. to play Air Force in the Military Bowl in two weeks. So I said, boy, if this is going to test us, this is going to test us really fast. And, you know, with about a half a staff we go, um, we're able to win that football game 42-41. to 41. We stop a two-point conversion um, right at the end of the football game, and we win the game. And uniquely, I get on the, on the plane that night to come home, and at that time we had our two daughters, and I put these three words down on a piece of paper that I still have in my office today, and it said this, recruit, retain, develop. And I said, no matter what happens, and life gets crazy here, we need to build an incredible foundation to a program just like we are building a foundation in our own lives. Recruit, retain, develop. And so, quite honestly, for me, the journeys along the way, finding my faith, understanding what my job is, love, care, serve, empower young people, and then having this foundation of building a program, we went on an incredible journey. And that journey has been absolutely fascinating for us at the University of Toledo. We went on a four-year run that was absolutely fantastic. Um, a journey where we were able to do a lot of things that had never happened before or had, had been done before. And I really loved it, and I, I felt like we were going to become the Boise State of the Midwest, to be quite honest with you. That's where our journey was, and, and the culture had started to shift in such a powerful, powerful time frame. And then uniquely, after four years, we play our last football game. And again, how life happens, listening and hearing what's going on around you. We lose our last football game at the University of Toledo in a monsoon to Western Michigan. We lost the game 23-21 to 21 at home. It was a year where we were 11-2 and two and had a great football team. On the way out that night, we had a young, a young man that had gotten hurt from the Western Michigan football team. I went to the hospital afterwards and spent the night with this young man. I come back over to the office the next morning, and my wife meets me there, and she said, Matt, we have to make a decision. Everybody's calling, and there was this gentleman that's here to see you, and he, I think you at least owe him the right to talk to him. That gentleman at the time, obviously, was Jamie Pollard. And he doesn't want to just talk to you. He'd like to talk to both of us. And I kind of chuckled, and I said, okay. I said, well, I said, you can tell the babysitter we'll be there in about 20 minutes. All right, this won't take very long. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we go and have this meeting with Jamie. And, you know, I think one of the things that I really love about who Jamie Pollard is, is not one discussion came about money. Not one discussion came about prestige. Not one discussion came about um, winning championships. What it came to is how do we build something and how do we do it the right way? 
and I was enamored. And he said, Matt, I was called to be at Iowa State 15, at that time 12 years ago. And I feel like it's been an incredible journey, and here's what's happened to me along the way. And for my wife and I, four hours later, <laughs> so four hours later, she looked at me and said, how can we not go try this? And for us, it's been one of the most amazing journeys of what's occurred over the last four years here in Ames, Iowa. Um, number one, what I would tell you is to come to a place that I, I yes, I knew a little bit, and you guys have heard me say this, of the t bringing our Toledo team out here and knowing the fan base and all of that, and that, that's great. It is. That's great. But what I had no idea of what I was really getting into when we agreed to come out here. And to be quite honest with you, every step of the way, I think, has tested what do you really believe in? What do you stand for? You know, at 40 years old, I'd love to sit here. I say all the time when I speak, I wish I had all the answers. I tell our team this all the time. I wish I had all the answers. I don't. Same thing in our faith journey as it is in our professional journey. As soon as you think you have all the answers, you're going to get humbled really fast. And to sit here and tell you my faith journey and what your faith journey should look like and feel like, I can't. But I can tell you mine. And I can share to you from, from my standpoint, at even as 36 taking it over, today at 40, I wish I had all the answers. I don't. But what's been fascinating is to take those foundational values, recruit. I think as any great leader knows, you want to put great people around you. What's your value system? For us, it's really simple. Recruit men of character. Don't shortcut the process. There's no shortcut to greatness. Character still matters in our society today. Recruit men that have great passion for what they do. You've got to wake up. We play a sport that's really hard. We don't play a sport that gets to play 30, 40, 50 games. We play a sport that you get to see us 12 Saturdays a year, and we only get to fill up Jack Trice Stadium six times a year. It looks cool. Poof. The challenges that go into being a student athlete today are greater than I've ever seen. You've got to love it. And you know what? You've got to understand that there's going to be failures. There's going to be tough times. And how you respond to that adversity will be defining of who you are, 18 to 22 years old. It's a hard time in life. Recruit in terms of young men that understand the value of excellence academically. Now, I talk about putting great people together. It's also my responsibility to put great people in terms of who touches the lives of these young people in our program. Men of character. There's no shortcut. Nobody's got all the answers. Great fathers, great husbands, great teachers. Men that have a great passion to do what? Not to coach football. These are 18 to 22-year-old young men. Our job's to love, care, serve, and empower the young people that touch our football program day in and day out. Understand that it's my job to recruit and get men that want to be lifelong learners. 
want to have the ability to continue to grow and become the best they can be. So I think, number one, recruit. We've been able to do a great job of building that foundation. Number two, retain. I think this is where, where things get really, really interesting in life. Retaining great people, and that's where that cliche word that you hear all the time right now, this word culture, comes into play. Well, again, I love college athletics because I feel like what my high school football coach got to do, I get to do. I get to pour into the lives of these young people and create a culture that's not just about football. Am I competitive? Yes. Do I want to win? I do. Is that the end goal for me? It's not. There's no greater joy for me to watch a young man leave our football program and feel like that young man became the absolute best version of himself he could be. And the challenges that are out there for 18 to 22-year-olds today, whew. And so from my end of it, this ability to create a culture, and you say, well, what do you create? What are your value systems there? Well, things like faith. I get it. I'm at a public school but still allowing our young men to find faith, to grow in their faith, to give them time to understand that. Powerful. Understand family. Hardest thing that I do today is go across the country and I watch similar young men that were in the same situation that I was and maybe a lot tougher because their family broke down at a really tough time or a really tough age in the breakdown of family and the challenge that that has on the young people that we serve today. And having these young people and teaching these young people, how do you be great fathers? What does it look like to be a great husband? Understanding the value of community. It's what I absolutely love about being here in this state. The power of community is as strong as I've ever been around and I've ever seen. The ability to give back and make a difference. I talk a lot on our program, give more of yourself than you take from the whole. And this opportunity to understand the value of being a great community servant. And then this opportunity to grow academically into what your passions are in life after football. What do you want to do? What is your heart telling you? Where are you being led to go? And how do we create value systems around you to chase those goals and dreams? And so for me, very few times are you going to hear me talk about the sport of football in terms of a retention of the student-athletes in the program. You know, it's funny, there's this thing out there, and some of you guys that follow sports, it's called the transfer portal out there, and everybody's scared about it. I chuckle at it because I think it's almost hilarious to me that, to me, why would a young person want to get in the transfer portal? Because the culture around them is not very good. And what it's putting an onus on is all these coaches that are in this profession to make money or in this profession to um, get to the top as fast as they want to go, it puts them in a really tough situation. Because now all of a sudden the football factors of the world, they don't exist. And now it does become about culture and it becomes about the number one thing that our job is about and that's love, care, serve, and empower the young people that we have. And grow 18-year-old young men and have them leave our program as 22-year-old men. And understand what it looks like to be a father, a husband, a community servant, and lead others. And so for me, the last piece of it then is the development of those tools. 
And you say, Matt, where's the greatest growth happening for you right now, even as we talk? It's in the development phase. It's how do you create that culture? I think we've got a really good beat on how to create that culture. Now, how do you develop those young men to become the absolute best that they can be in every one of those areas of their lives? And again, for me, it's been that journey which has been really fun to watch grow within our walls and our program. You know, we came to Iowa State, and I remember the first team meeting that I had, and I, I almost, my heart leapt out to these young men because I felt like there was such a distrust that was going on around the culture of Iowa State football at the time. Not that there wasn't good players and not there wasn't a chance to be successful, but this word of trust. And trust is funny in our profession because trust goes multiple ways. It goes player to player, goes player to coach, coach to coach, and back from coach to player. And that word trust, boy, it's, it's powerful. And I, I feel like even in our own journey, it's been fun to watch our kids almost create their own faith in belief of the un, unseen in what our football program is about and where we're trying to go. And I'm really proud to represent, obviously, our university. I'm really proud to go in every day because I really feel like you say, Matt, what's the greatest thing you guys got? It's not our coaches. It's not me. It's walk into the walls of our student-athletes and go in and watch our locker room. The greatest thing we have at Iowa State right now is the 130 men and young men that represent our football culture and our football program. The greatest journey for me is to step in there and help them and guide them and give them the tools to become the best version of themselves they can be. I tell every recruit and every parent this simple fact. When senior day comes, I hope that you can look at me and I can look at you and what I said in this process of recruit, retain, develop, you can look at me and say, Coach, everything you said you were about is exactly what you were about. And the young man that I'm walking across this field today is leaving as a, as a man ready to go and be a great leader in life. That's the great joy that I get to do. That's my passion. And it all happened because you look at those heroes in your life. My grandmother. Yep, she went to church. But she lived it. She lived faith. She lived serving others. In her darkest, toughest times, she showed the world how to serve others. That high school football coach, winning as high school football coach in the history of the state of Ohio, still doing it today. But you know what his mantra was? Attitude, effort, but he taught us how to love. Sometimes tough love, but he taught us how to love. And then that college football coach for me, that in the darkest times pulled me out and showed me the way. My wife, who taught me what faith looked like, brought me into the Catholic faith and taught me what, it, what my job's really about. It's funny, sometimes we can put our perspectives in crazy places, especially me. I know my, my downfall is I like to work. I've always felt work harder means greater success. And I think one of the great journeys I've been on even in the last couple of years is, yes, I got 130 football players at that office that my job is to help them. But my number one job is I got four amazing young children at home. And I can't forget along the way that my number one priority is to raise those four young children and instill those values of faith, family, community in them along the way.
So with that said, I, I know I think we may open it up to questions, um, but I definitely wanted to leave you with my journey. I really do appreciate you listening to me. Um, again, from my end of it, I, I'm beyond humbled and honored to be here, but uh, would certainly love to answer any questions that you guys would have for me about myself, um, faith, or certainly our, our football program in any way. Yeah, hero, hardship, and highlight. Thank you. Yep. No, you know, again, I, I think our, our job is we talk about the power of prayer. Um, and prayer can go to a lot of different people in a lot of different ways. And what we do is educate that prayer is an opportunity of gathering that they can have, and we talk about that certainly before the season. But all those are kind of instituted based on the leadership in our, our walls of the young men in our football program. So it, it is, it's, a, it's, a, it's a joy to watch those young men live their faith. What is your favorite football movie and why? <laughs> you know what? It, well, same thing. It used to be Rudy. But, you know, I mean, <laughs> man... So, I'll be honest with you, I almost had to change my, you know, my son's name's Rudy, I almost had to change it after that bowl game, so, um, you know, but, uh, but, but quite honestly, it, it is Rudy, I, I love that story, um, I, I, you identify with it in a lot of different ways, but uh, that, that would probably be it for me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's been, um, again, my, my greatest journey and probably my greatest challenge right now. Um, and to me, that journey is, you say, I, I went from being the offensive coordinator where time was, you could, I always laughed. When I was the offensive coordinator, everything got crazy. I just went in the film room and or I went home and, you know what, we were great. And it was like the first two years of being a head coach. I'm like, wow, where did my time go? And, um, you know, I think that's been my greatest growth process is making sure what is important. Again, this job at Iowa State has challenged everything you're about and everything you stand for. And so I think part of that is finding my own, what allows me to be my best. Um, I'm an early riser. I really believe in reading. I read every morning from 4.30 to 5.30. Um, and I read a lot of different things, a lot of them faith derived. Um, I make sure my family aspect from my end of it, I think that's probably an area that I've grown the most even over the last two years. I see my children getting to these ages where having their father involved in their life is critical. And, you know, I think that probably took some hard conversations and some hard reality from my end of it because at 40 years old, you are busy and you want to be successful and you see the needs here, but you also realize if I can't be my best, then I'm doing a disservice to these student-athletes that I, it's my responsibility to coach and teach. And so, you know, whether it's, you know, in season, 
um, making sure that we, our, our coaches and myself, have the ability to get home and be fathers. Um, you know, it's so funny because we actually lived this this year, and uh, I'll just be completely transparent with you. Um, this was a fascinating football season for us, and it was a year where a lot of growth in my mind has occurred more than anybody will ever know. And, you know, this season where I feel like the expectations and adversity and all these things that came our way challenged who we really were in probably some areas where we failed and the head coach failed. Um, again, work harder, get you success. Well, that's not true. Um, working smarter, having a foundation to what you're trying to get accomplished, staying close to what you believe in. And, you know, one of the things that I think that, that's been really interesting that I've been tackling this offseason is for our own players and our own coaches is the very question you asked, how do we be the best us we can be every day for the student athletes? And I think our coaches have the very similar mindset. They're work harder. And all of a sudden, you can get lost in all the film and video and all those things, and you know what happens. Now you start to feel the stress. You start to feel the pressure. Where when you work simpler and you stay close to your faith and your foundation and you make sure you're great fathers, then you can be your best every day. And so I I think one of the great lessons that I probably learned, not from a faith standpoint, but I think from a family standpoint that I know ties into who we are and what we are as men, And so I I think one of the things that we're on a journey to find, what is that right schedule? What is that right balance? What allows us to get to those critical moments and not be so worn out that, um, you know, I probably did a disservice to our team and our coaches and myself at times this this past season. But um, so you ask that, and it's a great question. But I do think for me, the reading part has been my solitude. The reading part has brought me back to balance every morning to start my day. And I've done that um, really for the last seven years. And I think it's something to me that's allowed me to center myself before things even get going. The the family piece of it, the in-season especially, I think that's where my greatest growth process must go because I think that's an equal part to living your faith. Be who you say you are. I I think those things, um, we're still continuing to navigate that journey to be the best we can be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Two, I got you. You know, we're, we're, we love it. Um, you know, number one, the first one is really big. You know, it's really interesting that you asked that question. I, I think it's, it's what I – player-driven program is something that's really important to me because um, no matter what we as adults, and I think we all realize this even sometimes as parents, it's sometimes until they're pure – says something and it's funny because even as a parent I somebody else tells them something they they come home and say dad they, they said this to me I said I, I know we've been saying that for like the last you know the last two months but it's revolutionary and so sometimes peer um you know that peer guidance is is awesome and you know 
our football team came to me a year ago. We've always done a chapel service three and a half hours before every, or four hours before every football game. We do a chapel service. Um, it's totally, you know, it's totally up to them, but we provide that for our football team and our coaches. Um, that chapel service has been a foundation to our program, and it's phenomenal for us because I think it gives us a chance to get back to center. And I, I, you know, some teams do it on Friday. I really believe Saturday before a game, there's so much out there craziness that allows us to get back to center. Um, and I think those things are really important for us. But it's it's unique because our our own football team has come to me a year ago and said, Coach, we'd like to do, we'd like to do a Bible study on Friday night um, after you know our last meeting. Is that be okay? Absolutely. And to watch it go from 20 guys to now you see almost 60 guys in that chapel service uh, before, a, before a Friday night, uh, it's powerful to watch our young men lead each other, and I uh, appreciate that greatly. Well, I, I, I think that's a that's a powerful question, and I, I think one of the, I think Jesus's journey period, in this journey of his sacrifice, his journey of what made him powerful, this love, care, serve mentality, I think it's what our society in so many ways today we're in, um, I say, the highlight film society in a lot of ways. We're on fast forward in a million different ways. And I think this story and this journey of Jesus and his sacrifice and who he was and what he did, I think those stories of the Bible, it's so powerful. And what I think it again teaches us is what our ultimate job really is. And I think his sacrifices and the humility of who we are as men I think is is really, really powerful. So, you know, I, I, that's a great question because I think it's something for me that you talk about bringing yourself back to center every morning, the ability to relate to those stories and understand those stories of the value that's coming out of those is powerful. You know, that's a great question as well. Um, so, in, you know, I'd love for Blake to answer that. But, you know, our, our kids are, are really involved. And, you know, one of the things that I love about what we do is we'll do just about anything. Um, you know, from, you know, tornado cleanup to, you know, night to shine a couple weeks ago down in Des Moines to watching our kids on Fridays go to the hospital and, and, and be able to impact and empower and relate to the people that are maybe going through some tough times to watching our kids go to the schools. And, you know, I'm not a big believer in putting a lot of that out on social media. I'm really not. Um, because to me, that's what we should do. That's not um, what we, you know, we need to promote ourselves, but it's, it's kind of what we should do. And so I, I think what I would tell you is our kids do an incredible job of that. And I think it's such a powerful process to understand themselves the beginning process of love, care, serve, and empower the lives of others. And, you know, what, what's great about us is some of our best players probably understand that the best. And I've always said when your best players are your hardest workers and the greatest servers, then great things can happen in your program, not just your coach, but it's those young men that lead the way. So we're fortunate to have some of those. I was wondering, uh, 
his hopes and dreams and crushed him down for being handicapped. I'm wondering if you ever look at individuals that have the heart but don't have the grades and if you can ever take those people and see and give them a chance for whether the grades or what set the level whether you're going to be able to achieve things in life or you're going to be shunned. Right. Yeah, I think that's a great question. You know, I, I think one of the things that the NCA has done, and, and you're right, that's a, that's that's certainly a, a job requirement of ours that is sometimes out of our hands, right? The NCA kind of sets the mandates of, you know, what allows a student athlete to be eligible to play at some of these universities. What I do think is powerful, though, is there are ways around that, right? There's, there's junior college athletics and there's opportunities that maybe a young person doesn't meet those requirements right away. And to be quite honest with you, I think one of the most fascinating things for us even here at Iowa State is you say, well, well Matt, does everybody have the same upbringing? Does everybody have the same background? Does everybody have the same academic success? And I would tell you absolutely not. Um, I, I think that's one of the things that I appreciate because even when I talk academics in the recruiting process, I don't, I don't need you to be a 4.0 student, but what I do want you to do is what you're capable of doing. And I, I think that's the thing for, for us that, you know, when you talk about our own program, we look for. And we've got guys that are 2-1 students, and that's as good as they can do, and those people are going to go live life, and they're going to become really, really special in life because they understand how they're able to maximize their full potential. And, you know, I think the only thing we can ever ask is for a young person to reach their full potential, whether that full potential is academically or athletically. That's all we can ever ask for. And our job as a coach is to help a young person reach their full potential. And um, that's, I think, one of the greatest journeys that I've learned probably throughout my time as a coach is everybody's got different levels in all those as aspects of things. You, your job is to realize what is that level and then help that young person get to that level. Great question. Yeah, so my question is about money. <laughs> Yeah, I think we're at a really tough time right now in college athletics. Um, again, I, I, you're talking to a guy that, you know, father was a high school football coach. Um, you're talking to a guy that, you know, probably had to pay for his own education for four years, quite honestly. So, you know, I, I kind of go on both ends of the spectrum. I used to be the guy to say, man, these college athletes should never be paid. This is student athlete. Um, athletics. And then I watch, to be honest with you, I watch these coaches and um, gosh, the, the, what we're paying coaches today is crazy in, in some way, shape or form. And what has happened is because it's driven by winning and success and playing in the college football playoffs and all those things that come with us. So are we skewed? Yes. I think we're at a time right now, though, the balance is going to reshift itself. Because these student athletes have said, well, man, there's a lot of money going out there and maybe I deserve a little bit more of what's going on. And maybe rightfully so. I think what, what we have to keep in mind 
is that number one, what is the reason for student athlete college sports? And I think once we cross the line of truly, you know, somebody asked me even about the uh, name, image, and likeness. I, I think that's a really hard bill to, to sit there and really define because are we saying we're going to let these young people be like pro athletes and we're going to let them go be individual recruiters and get paid uh, by their own services? I, then I think what we become is minor league athletics. And so I think there's a better way. If I had the answers to that, I obviously would probably be in a, you know, at a somewhere else giving another speech probably on that on, other than this one. Um, but, but to be really honest with you, do I think it's skewed? Yes. Do I think we're at a, at a crossroads? We are. Do I think it's going to be really fascinating to watch and see? Yes, because I don't want to coach minor league athletics. If I wanted to coach paid players, I'd go coach in the NFL. What I love about what I get to do is coach student-athletes and watch a young person grow between 18 and 22 years old. So, you know, to be quite honest with you, it's, um, it is. It's a fascinating time, and I think what, what's happened is we've skewed it, and what's happened is we've, we've become imbalanced in this process, and now we're going to have to balance ourselves back out, and wherever those cuts become and wherever those other areas go, we'll have to see, but it'll be really fascinating to watch. Do I have a perspective on, on parents and youth sports? <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's funny, and it's a great question. Um, and I, I say that because I, I, tomorrow I will be at my daughter's fourth grade basketball tournament, and I will be watching, and I have been the last three weekends, and I watched my fifth grade, or my six-year-old son play basketball last night. And I chuckle, to be quite honest with you, because I would agree with you in terms of where are we imbalanced? We're imbalanced in the world of sports, too. And we're imbalanced in the world of youth sports. You know, one thing I do love about this state is that I still see young people today, male and female, that play three, four sports. You know, you go to other states and other cultures where you know, a kid all of a sudden starts playing football and these parents start giving all this money to these personal trainers and all these monies to all these people because, and then they hope that it's that that's going to get their son a scholarship this way or that way. And to be quite honest with you, we're missing the boat. We're missing the boat. Um, you know, I think in terms of becoming well-rounded, that's important. You know, um, I think sometimes the breakdown of, of what you talked about, you know, growing the whole person has been broken down because growing the whole person, whoever's that home environment is broken. And that's led us away from developing and growing the whole person. You talk about the, the athletic piece of it. You know, I think one of the things I, I always say is I love, I love young people that play so many different sports or involved in so many things because I want to see young people fail. And I want to see you've got to learn how to fail if you want to be great and you want to become the best you can be. 
And so you got these parents there that are pushing, and, got, and, and it, it's, it's, it's been fascinating to me to watch it. And so what I would tell you is, um, do I see what you're saying? I see it all the time. And now with my own children coming up, I almost chuckle at what I see at some of these sporting events. But I think it's still our number one responsibility as parents is not to build athletes. It's to build well-rounded young people that are grounded in every aspect of their life. So I think that's certainly a great question. Coach Matt Campbell, everyone.